Hello and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast with me, Peter Pratt. And don't forget to follow me, of course, on Twitter at MammyMarlins underscore UK. It's the Tuesday episode and delighted to welcome Will Manso is in the house. Will, how are we doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's good, it's good to finally be on all these uh, all this time listening and checking you out on Twitter. It's good to finally come on. Absolutely. It's been it's been long overdue and it felt like the right moment. I saw you tweeting a few days back about some Marlins stuff and I thought it's time. It's time. I want to get your take as well more broadly about, you know, South Florida sports and where you see the Marlins. Who's going to be, you know, because Dolphin season's kicking off now too as well, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of buzz happening right now. The Marlins are trending in the wrong direction. Other teams are looking to start their season soon. So we'll kind of get into that as well. But I saw you tweeting as well about Sandy Alcantara. Again, another stunning start from Sandy. Just from your perspective, how amazing has this year been for Sandy? I mean, you know, you being a Marlins fan, I think those who listen to your podcast understand the history of the Marlins and pitchers that, you know, like this don't come along very often in any organization. Nope. But when you look at, I remember, you know, thinking of Dontrell and the, and the excitement of when he would pitch. And obviously Jose, when he would pitch. And now Sandy... And when you look at the parallels of what those guys became as pitchers and dominant mm. players prime, Sandy's there. You know, Sandy is a, a must-see TV, the attraction that, you know, he may not have a big name in baseball as far as fans outside of South Florida, but when you look at, at Major League Baseball, I, I don't think there are more than, what, three or four pitchers you could put in his class. I mean, that's no how way. good he is now. And when he pitches, it's almost like – it's crazy. He pitched seven innings against the Padres, right? Four mm. hits – his couple walks like and it almost didn't even feel like he was that dominant it, you know he was up in pitch count early I think he had like 75 78 pitches through four which is uncharacteristic for him against and this is against one of the better lineups in baseball even without Tatis and then he just buckles down and when the night's done ho-hum seven innings shut out 192 RA and the Marlins win so he it, it's such a pleasure to watch him every fifth day and I think mm. sometimes we granted I'm with you on that. I think we do. And I'm with you for the Marlins the rest of the year. Clearly, it's a lost season again. Um, we'll come back to that shortly. But the reality is every fifth day, we have something to watch. And it's been so good that seven innings, seven Ks, four hits, we're like, oh, okay, it was just another sandy start, right? <laughs> true, true. And you know what makes it good, Peter, is that he, he's genuinely, and I think you see it in, in, in what comes across when he's on camera, when he speaks to the media when he interviews like post game with like Jess and and Craig and those people on Bally uh he's a genuinely good guy I mean Sandy's a very you know he starts all his news conferences thanking God and he's very he's mm. very he's very much into his faith and his family and he's a very grounded guy for as talented as he is but what's funny about Sandy is when he's on the mound and Daisy pitches he's like he could he's like that bulldog mentality where like you don't get near him like be you know tough I mean which makes him great at what he does so it's even more so fun to watch because he's such a genuinely good person, such a good teammate, likable guy. He's great with the media. He's great with the fans. And, oh, yeah, he also happens to be just, you know, throw 100 miles an hour with ease and, and uh, be, like I said, I think the best pitcher in baseball right now. I completely with you. What's the profile like of Sandy Alcantara in South Florida? Like, is it is it growing? Is it building? Like, are we starting to get to that superstardom kind of level now in South Florida? He should, but he's not. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I think the two guys I mentioned earlier, Dontrell and Jose, had something with their personality that probably translated more. You know, obviously Jose's story, Cuban immigrant coming here, and it's just the you know his vibrant personality, and then Dontrell with the wind up and the leg kick, and then he could hit and just that big smile. 
Sandy is more grounded in his approach. It doesn't help, as you know, you referenced. I know we'll talk about it more that the Marlins are just now not a good team. Uh, and at the last few years, a lot of fans in South Florida, to no fault of any of the players on this current team, including Sandy, fans have kind of pulled away from the thought of really watching the Marlins every move night in and night out. Sandy gets lost in that, you know, and I think yeah. – Someone texted me yesterday, uh, middle of the start. He said, hey, I want to show you something. There's a Marlins fan who's a friend of mine. And he texted me. He's like, can you believe this? And he sent me a screen grab of Sandy's Twitter profile. And Sandy has like 8,000 followers. And granted, wow. I, I'm not the kind of person who equates social media following the star number. You know, but mm-hmm. most of your superstars and people that are just following here in the U.S. and overseas, you know, a million followers, a half a million followers, even 100,000 followers. Sandy's got 8,000 followers on Twitter. You know, he doesn't tweet much, but still, I guess my point is, Peter, is that I, mm. I, I don't think enough people know who he is. I don't think that connects to South Florida. And it's a shame because guys like this don't come across along very often. You don't come across them. And, and we're kind of losing out, again, on a likable guy who's also a dominant pitcher. Yeah, no doubt about it. What about just kind of continuing down his theme? Because, listen, I'm in the UK. I don't get I – I'm not close enough to it to get the feel, the buzz. What about Jazz? Jazz Chisholm's been away from the team for some time, but what's the buzz like for Jazz? It feel different for him specifically, or we're still in the same spot? No, I think for him it's a little different, and I'll tell you a couple reasons why. Number one is Jazz really embraces that, where Sandy's more of that, you know, Sandy's a great guy who's more, though, into the game, the, the mental part of it, preparation. Jazz loves, loves being noticed. Jazz loves the <laughs> That loves being the center. I remember first day of spring training this year, I saw Jazz walk up to Don Madeline. The first thing we were showing him was like his, his new gold, you know, his <laughs> pendant, his new earrings and stuff. And Don there you go. Just, and that's just, but players and staff, that's Jazz's personality. He's obviously very active on social media. Uh, he loves, he'll, he'll go at it with fans or maybe talk trash to him, you know, say silly things. He's very much vibrant with players like that as far as the way he engages on the field. And by the way, you know, uh, and being in South Florida all these years, the Bahamas, you know, is so close to here. It's basically an extension of South Florida, a very strong Bahamian community. To have one of their own in this community, there's a lot of pride that Jazz represents. You know, there are very few players in Major League Baseball from the Bahamas, and that's historically, not just right now. So Jazz represents that culture, represents the, the community of South Florida. There's a different connection there. And, man, when Jazz is healthy and playing and that personality – People love just they gravitate to jazz and that excitement when they're at the ballpark. Yeah, really do, really do, really missing jazz. I think that's been you know it goes hand in hand. The Marlins, you know, offensively, the interest levels like it's all kind of gone a bit sideways real quick. It feels coincides with jazz being on the IL, and you know I'm not sure we'll see him back this year. There's no real need for the Marlins to really rush him back, which is going to be disappointing, but. You know, I'm sure Jazz will want to be on the field, no doubt. Back to Sandy, though, briefly, kind of wrap up this segment. Um, Cy Young winner this year, no doubt in your mind that Sandy takes the Cy now? I mean, you got, you know, you got a handful of starts left. You got, you know, still a pretty good portion of the season left. In Sandy's case, it's tough because none of those will be big games, you know, that mm-hmm. the Marlins and that's kind of how you judge. But when you just put it on, okay, who's the best pitcher? Who's been the best pitcher in the National League? Mm-hmm. I mean, Sandy's been, you know, if he continues to pitch like this, now, if he has two or three bad starts, which is, would be very uncharacteristic. And, you know, he gave him five, six runs, and he struggled. And ZRA got more in the 220-240 range, and it wasn't that around two. I think Sandy to win, it has to stay in this dominant, you know, right around two ERA. Because you look at the pitchers of the Dodgers, they have a trio of guys that have, you know, 12 to 15 wins. that, And, look, they're a machine, so it's yeah. hard to compare. Sandy and the Dodgers would probably have 19, 20 wins right now. I mean, so it's hard to compare. But, yeah, I, I think barring any kind of collapse by Sandy, I think he's going – and the Cy Young, I think if he has his last full of starts or like this, seven innings, one run, no runs, two runs, 
when it's all said and done, he's going to have 15 wins, uh, a two ERA, and he's just going to be, I think, the best pitcher late throughout the course of the season. Yeah, no doubt. A big test for him next up, though, I must say, because it's going to be against the Dodgers, uh, I believe, next up. And so that is interesting because one of his worst performances last year came against the Dodgers. So I'm intrigued. And clearly the Dodgers, as you already mentioned, they're a machine of a of a baseball yeah. team. So that one for me, if he can do a, if he can do a seven innings, couple of hits, no one runs, few Ks, for me, that is it. Just end, end the vote now. Yeah, well, you saw it in the All-Star game, right? I mean, he was making guys look like fools, you know. Yeah. He, he got out there, and he just is throwing gas on Stanton, curveballs and Buxton, and those guys that he faced. I mean, these are the best power hitters in baseball, and he's making them look like nothing, you know. And yeah. that Andy has a way of doing that. I mean, Juan Soto in his last start, he goes out there, and he just he's one of the best, you know, as far as approach goes in baseball. I don't think it's better than Juan Soto. And he, and he, and he still goes out there and makes him look bad. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think if he has a strong start, that's another – kind of on his case and his resume. But he also, I was reading last night, I wish I remembered exactly who mentioned it, but I think his ERA against playoff teams is in like in the mid twos. So yeah. it's like he's got a 120 ERA against bad teams and a 340 ERA against good teams. I mean, his ERA is, would be one of the tops in baseball if he just faced playoff teams, which tells you a lot about how, how incredibly dominant he is. Definitely. And he doesn't get the benefit of pitching against the Marlins offense either. So, you know, everyone else's numbers are being padded by the Marlins offense, which has been, when when we slice and dice this year up, we'll get into this segment now. I'll quickly do an ad in a sec, but just to tease it out, when we slice and dice this offense up, there's been at least three stretches where there's been a historic statistical run for this Marlins offense. It's been that bad. There's been three times, you know, the amount of shutouts in a row, blanked innings, now we're into less than or less than four runs consecutively like the Marlins offense is breaking records for all the wrong reasons it's absolutely insane oh, it's, it's really it's insane. hard to believe it. in, age, yeah, it's, in this day and age where offense you know look there's great pitching and they got, got, got you got more guys throwing 100 plus miles an hour than ever but still you get a lot of offense you get a lot of home runs you get runs and the Marlins are just the one team you know what are they I think they're fourth fewest runs in the league it feels much worse and I think it's early in the season they were they were scrappy they were finding ways to get guys through but man Peter the last you know month and a half this offense has been unwatchable you know you're, you're talking as as we talk 16 straight games without scoring more than three runs that hadn't happened since what was the last I checked the 70s something like that I mean it might, we may go back to the 60s if they don't score four runs at some point soon that's embarrassing and that's just something that you look back on this season when what was the failure that's where it's going to start with the inability to score runs. No doubt about it. Baseball, you have to score to win. The Marlins, they cannot win every game 1-0. They can't. And even when they had that 1-0 opportunity on Sunday, they had a blown save and it was gone in the end. We're going to talk about that as well shortly and the closing situation. But before we do that, guys, first out of the day, and it's our good, good friends over at Built Bar. And here's the question. Have you tried those Built Bar puffs yet? If not, listen, you're, de you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. That's a big claim. But guess what? There's a new flavor. New flavor. Indulgent cookie dough. It's covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to this flavor. Cookie dough chunk puffs. Cookie dough chunk puffs. Do you get that one? They got a light and chewy texture. Real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it's healthy for you. Cookie dough chunk puffs. They're only 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein in them. Sounds sensational. If you're liking what you're hearing, guys, get yourselves over to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON15. That is a new promo code, by the way, guys. So for those listeners, 
Normally using locked 15. No, no, no. It's locked on 15. It gets 15% off your order. Reminder, promo code locked on 15 at built.com. Will this this offense has not been good. We're going to cover that one. I want to I want to just go back to the closer though because Tanner Scott blew the game on Sunday. It's been a it's been a it's been emotional, let's say, these save opportunities with Tanner Scott. He's got the stuff, no doubt about it, but you know, he finds himself every time, couple of walks a hit, bases are juiced, no outs. It's just a dice roll, can he get into it? However, the question I've got for you is how surprised were you that he's back out there on the Monday after throwing, you know, nine on 35, 40 pitches on the Sunday? He's thrown nearly 70 pitches in two days. What's going on here? It was too much. I couldn't believe it. You know, it's when I was watching the game at home, and then I jump in my car to drive back to work. And in the drive, I hear, oh, Tanner Scott's coming in. I'm thinking, Tanner Scott's coming in. Now, granted, nothing legal. So I'm like, okay, I, I think it's a safety. But, I mean, really? He's coming in with it. after throwing 36, 37 pitches in the debacle that happened Sunday against the Braves. You mentioned that one nothing game. Uh, I was surprised. And that, obviously, is more on Don. On Donnie Matt, on Don Manley and, and his decision, I I will say this: it's a it's a tough balance because number one is Tanner Scott, as you mentioned, has been very inconsistent. He's always a stress case. He throws ninety nine a hundred, but I mentioned it earlier. A lot of baseball does throwing a hundred isn't as rare as it used to be. No. He's got that nasty you know slider that he throws to righties that really dives in at their ankles when pitch when a batter's lay off that pitch though they wait for a pitch and if he gives it to them. They tend to hit it. You know, you saw Michael Harris the other day, the second jump on the first one. Other players are very patient, work their way to a walk. He's just very predictable right now. But I did not understand why he came in. Thankfully, he held it barely, barely, <laughs> barely. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was on Donnie. I was surprised. But it goes to, you know what it is too, Peter? I think it goes to show they don't have anybody else. They don't have anybody else. They have no one. I would have, at this point, one of the guys they just called up, I would have pitched one of those guys at this point in that night. Okay, buddy, welcome to the majors. See what you can do. Get us three outs, you know, because I, to go with Tanner Scott again, I thought was, was very strange. Uh, me too. There's a few things that are in my mind when I saw that, that that happened. To your point, Donnie's kind of saying, there's no one here. There's no one else I've got to use. And maybe this is a little shot back to Kim, the front office in general. I don't know that you never gave me the tools to get this job done this year. And, and they acknowledged that right at the top of the year. It was like, hey, we're going to address the closing situation. And they never did. And we've been yeah. in this kind of spiral ever since. So maybe there's that. But to your point, they've brought up these guys. Um, you know, there's been three or four of them over the weekend. And it's like, why don't you just put one or two in? Just see what they got. See what Nardi's got. Whatever. You know, just why not? Called them up for a reason. At this point, it's a lost season. You're, you know, 14, 15 games under 500, whatever it is. Yeah. Give the guys, I can't say give those kids a shot because a lot of the guys they called up are 27, 27. <laughs> they are. <laughs> give those guys a shot. See what they can do because at this point, it can't get much worse. No. No, I'm with you. And then we saw, I mean, there's a guy that was called up. Um, who was that? Parker Berg, I think his name was. So he's called up. I'd oh. never heard of him. I'd never heard of him before. I mean, this is it. This is the kind of, you know, this is where we're at in this year. He's called up, added to the roster. He's then DFA'd. He never actually makes his, his major league debut. We'll never see him again. That'll be the end. I know. I, call these guys up, pitch them, give them an inning, get these guys that have been in the, you know, the last eight years in the minors, give them a shot. It's, Now's the time. To me, it's always like either give those guys a shot or give your top prospects a shot, right? Like there's always, at this time of the year, it's always like, look, we've seen a lot of these guys, these veteran guys, these Tanner Scotts of the world, like young guys up. And if they're not ready and you don't have them, then let these guys that are career minor leaguers get a taste of the major leagues. Maybe one of them sticks and they become a solid middle reliever for the next few years. You never know. 
There's nothing to lose, right? I mean, the season's cooked. Just see what you've got. Why why roll Tanner Scott out there to throw his 70th pitch in two days? And I, I actually felt bad for Tanner Scott in yeah. that game. I was like, why are you... When he got the first two outs, I thought, okay, maybe he's powering his way through. My God, he <laughs> Made it dicey there at the end. Yeah. Same old Tanner, right? Walking a hit and, you know, two on, um, you know, winning runs comes to the plate. You're thinking, <laughs> oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> it's been it's been wild, no doubt. I'm really intrigued to see the way they approach this offseason in general. Um, there's a lot of moves to make. Um, I'm going to do the final ad because I really want to get into one final topic with you before we get out of town here. Um, and it's our good friends over at Bet Online. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in all your betting needs. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. they got everything covered, guys. Every league covered every sport. Major League Baseball, of course. NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, golf, tennis, Formula One, you name it. BetOnline, they got you covered. They continue to be a top online resource for all your sports, wagering information, live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. If you can head to the website today, use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening right now, today. It's Bet Online where the game starts. Will I need to segue into this topic? It's been bubbling around in my mind, and you're the first guest I'm going to ask this to. But talking about Sandy Alcantara, um, I think he will win the Cy, and it'll be the first time the a Marlins pitcher has won the Cy. When I think back to player awards, the last time a Marlins player won a significant award, let's say, was Big G in that, you know, monumental season where he won MVP right when the, the team was sold and there was the ownership change, etc., etc. What happened straight after that? Big G traded to the Yankees. The Marlins, in my opinion, are in a sliding doors crossroads moment, I think, with this roster. The roster, to me, looks in trouble and the farm doesn't seem to be producing or have the guys sitting there ready to go offensively. Could there be a situation here in the offseason where the Marlins think we need to blow it up a little bit more extravagantly and Sandy Alcantara off the back of a Cy Young winning year and signing an extension and being said he's untouchable could be traded by the Marlins to give them the opportunity to really get the assets they need? I mean, it would feel very Marlins-like. It would do. Of, given their history, you try to detach from... Because every owner that's been different has had similar themes of what they've done because of the market. This is a tough market for you financially. Yeah. Look, they're not, I'm not going to cry for them. They're get, getting money. There's money there. But the way they use that money, the way they've developed players, the way they've kept players, it hasn't worked. Uh, and obviously that keeps fans away. They don't have the revenue of big crowds and things like that. But to answer your question specifically, this offseason, I do not think there's a scenario where the Marlins would trade Sandy Alcantara. And if they did, they might as well just trade the team. Because I just think at this point, there are the fans that are hanging on. God bless diehard Marlins fans. They're great. But even the, the casual fan that at least knows who Sandy is and understands, knows that he's the face of the franchise that stands now, you just can't trade him. You just can't make that move. But I think from a baseball perspective, it doesn't make sense now either because they've tried so hard the last few years to revamp the farm system, which, by the way, I was all in on. I said, go do it. This is the way you do it. When you can't buy players and have $200 million player roles, you build your farm system. Mm -hmm. The problem now, looking back at the last few years of it, they didn't really nail a lot of their. They didn't nail a lot of their hitters. I mean, they, no. you look at the way it worked. You know, the, the trade to get Brinson and Monte Harris and that fell flat, and Esau and that fell flat. You know, you look at the other bats they've acquired. Blade has shown some signs. I'm not about to say that he's any kind of a bust or anything. I mean, he's just in the majors for the first time. Can he be a 25 homer, 90 RBI kind of guy? 
I think that's the hope and question, but there's no guarantee. So they've gone for so many college bats. They don't have that one electric bat. But to answer your question directly, no, I don't think this offseason the Marlins would entertain the thought of trading Sandy Alcantara. I just do not see that happening. It would be very Marlins-like, like you said. And, uh, you know. no, not, even for the, not even for this organization. Uh, I... Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't come to that for sure because Sandy is, in terms of the contract and the ability and the talent and everything, all when you bundled it all up together, I don't think there is a more valuable dude. Um, but the, the, the point you made there is one that I think I was listening to another pod talking about it. It was, I think, the, the Herald guys um, on their podcast today talking about this. They called this out as well, saying that the problem that they're facing is in the, in the farm system, there is just no one electric dude sat there waiting to go. There is no Wanda Franco ready to rock and roll that you think, great, give it another year. Franco's in town. Sandy's there. We build around. we got Jazz. Frank, you know what I mean? They just haven't drafted well or they haven't developed well. And that combined with this strategy, the draft and develop strategy, the problem is they've drafted the wrong dudes and they can't develop them either. And so they've left themselves short and they can't go and... The free agent market's a tough one because they can't afford the top talent. They go a tier or two below, and you end up with Jorge Soler and Avisel Garcia, which for me, those both have been huge busts, Avisel Garcia in particular. And I think, what have you, what's been your take on Avisel? I don't want to kind of pile in on the on the dude, and you know, if he's listening, he's listening, but you know, you probably won't be. But I must say, it's felt as a fan watching most of the games, something's felt off with him all year. And I've just struggled to put my finger on it, but it's just been a real struggle for us as fans to embrace Avicel Garcia. What's been your take on him? My take on him is my take on him early in the season. I will say this, and this isn't me trying to play revisionist history and say, like, I told you so, because I, I thought Avicel Garcia would be a good player for the Marlins. Mm. But my take on him when they signed him was, I think it's a good signing. I think he's a good player. Might be a lot of money, but sometimes the Marlins, you know, the way free agency is, you got to get a little extra. I thought there was a next step and not Jorge Soler. I mean a next step. To me, Avicel Garcia is the kind of guy that if you get a Soler or Garcia and you put a big bat in the middle, I like that because then you're protecting each other. Not all the pressures on Garcia. Soler is such a swing and a miss guy and such a, you know, boomer bust kind of guy. If you have a consistent four hitter, a real star that I thought the Marlins might try to get, whether via trade, whatever the case may be, it's everybody talking about Brian Reynolds and who would be out there. It never came to be. And I think it put the, the, the focus on Garcia as, okay, you were the big signing. Now you got to be the big bat. And if you look at the course of his career, I know he had a nice year in Milwaukee, again, in a really good lineup and in a good hitter's ballpark. He's not a 30 home run, 100 RBI, you know, 290 hitter. He's just not. And to think that as you give him big money and you say you're our star, that's who you are, it was never going to work. The problem was that's what happened. They didn't go out and get another player. Soler's been kind of who he is. You know, then he got hurt. But Soler's the kind of guy that even if he plays a full season, he's 225, 230, 40 home runs, 100 RBIs. 150 strikeouts, 160 strikeouts. But you know that's two years. Avisil needs a, a guys around them. It's been a little unfair. I think part of that pressure has gotten to him. I think mm. it's clearly affected him mentally. Uh, and whatever the case may be, he's been terrible. It's, there's no way to sugarcoat it. He has been really bad. I'll take it back, too, because the hard part is two years ago, a year ago, the last couple, I should say the last two years, I was a big advocate of making a move in trading Starling Marte if you felt you can get a young bat and really get a good – return for him if you didn't want to sign him they had a chance to sign him at a really good deal again i was fine with trying to trade him but then they go on they get Jesus lazardo and you say to yourself another arm like <laughs> i like lazardo may end up if he stays healthy be a damn good pitcher in the majors and for the marlins or a trade 
piece, whatever. But I was surprised that they they didn't keep Marte, traded him for a pitcher, and then he goes out and he gets a pretty good contract, you know, with the Mets after having a really nice final couple months with the A's. Things like that really set your franchise back when you make decisions like that. And again, that's revisionist history, but I think we could all look back and say that was a really big misstep by the organization. Completely agree. It's been the one thing, I was talking about it all last year, it's the one decision that I felt that the Marlins got seriously wrong with the Starling Marte situation. I, I was okay with the trade. I like, like you said, Lozado was a fine player. I liked the get. There wasn't a need. And by trading away Starling Marte, when it came to that point, I just think the Marlins over... I don't, what, I don't know what the strategy was. You know, Craig Mish was talking to Starling Marte, you know, a couple of weeks before the deadline. Hey... Want to be here. Yeah, I want to be here. I want, I want to stay in Miami. You know, have, you, have, have they approached you on extensions? No. It was an affordable number, a number that is not far... Pretty much what Aviso Garcia got, you know, in that yeah. range. I mean, you make the choice. Did you want a Starling Marte? Or an episode Garcia, I think we see what the decision should have been. Exactly. It, it, it's a tough one, and that has set us back, no doubt, because the center fielders, that like Starling Marte with the offensive production, there's not many of them around. And the Marlins had one. They already made a stunning trade to go and get Marte, sending Caleb Smith, which was an absolute slam dunk win for the fish. And then, and then they've ended up at the back end of that, botching it by not extending him, which they should have done. I like yeah. the Lozada return. So that trade, I think, ended up being fine. But it didn't fill a need. The Marlins then left themselves short. They added to their plethora of pitchers. No one in the outfield. Way, look at the Marlins. You know this better than I do, Peter. I mean, look, they're, what, a top 10 or 12 in the majors in ERA. Yeah. But they're top, they're bottom five in runs scored and top five in blown saves. So what are the two areas that you knew going into would be a problem? Offense and bullpen the two areas that you knew you had to reinforce with that pitching that you had, and they didn't. And that's a failure in the front. Blame Jeter, blame Kim Ng, blame whoever you want, blame Bruce Sherman, whatever whatever you want to blame. The point is they totally screwed up last offseason, and unfortunately it's really impacted this year. It really has. One final one, and I'll let you get out of here. Kim Ng, you mentioned her there. I think this offseason is ginormous um, for her. I do, I, do, I do believe she will stick around. I don't think the job is on the line at this point. You know, there was still Derek Jeter's fingers a little bit over the offseason, for sure. Avicel Garcia, I believe, was a Derek Jeter thing. So I believe she's got one year, but you know, one year of, you know, free reign. If things still continue to be sideways after that, then I think Kim will be under serious pressure. What about you? Oh, 100%. I, I think, you know, people have asked me straight up, like, do you think she gets fired? I don't. I don't think she no. gets fired. I think Donnie. I think, look, I think Donnie's done. Me too. He's managed more than anyone in Marlins history. Won more games. He's been a class act, but I think it's he's run his course here, and it's not his fault. You know, he's been through the two regimes. He's been through all the changes, and things just aren't changing, and you're always going to have a fall guy. I think Donnie is gone at the end of the year. I think that's obvious. Yeah. Uh, I think another year, I think she needs to prove that she can handle this on her own. And no, no Derek Cheater around, no Gary Denbo looking over the shoulder. I mean, this is her team. And if she could somehow make moves – whether it's spending in free agency a little bit, making a, and hitting on something, or making a swing in a trade where you get some good prospects, where you can sort of replenish the the, the minor league system with some hitting, then she can kind of prolong her career here. But if she doesn't this offseason, the next year, we're having this conversation 12 months from now, I don't think Kim Ng's going to have a job much longer with the Marlins. Me too. Don't want to end it on a sour note, but we're out of time, so it is what it is. Um, you know, what, I guess what we're saying is Kim's going to stick around. I think I'm completely with you on Donnie, by the way. So uh, I think that is that that will be the the end for Donnie. It's interesting that obviously the the Rangers fired their coach 
Um, interesting timing. I don't think the Marlins are going to fire Don Mattingly at this point. No. There's no need to. And he deserves no, more respect than that. Yes, you just said. Number one is there's no need to. Number two is Bruce Sherman thinks the world of Don Mattingly. Uh, mm. As always, advances his New York days, you know, into Donnie the baseball player. And Donnie's a class act. He doesn't deserve that treatment. He should call, you know, run it out. It, it, it happens. You move on. I don't think Donnie's going to sit there and say, oh, why me? I'm shocked. He's He knows this business. He understands the way it works. And then you move on and try to find someone who can help turn this around. He does for sure. Speaking of class acts, Will Manso has been class on this episode, no doubt about it. Will, thank you so much for joining me on Locked on Marlins. It has been an absolute treat and a pleasure, and I hope everyone has enjoyed the conversation. Guys, that is us wrapping up on Tuesday's episode of Locked on Marlins. And guess what, guys? It's a daily podcast. We're back tomorrow. Kenny Takes What Made is back tomorrow with me. We're going to be getting into some of these themes as well. I think it could be hmm, 18 plus perhaps on this episode. Wait and see. But in the meantime, enjoy the game tonight. Hopefully the Marlins can get a win. Edward Cabrera can put some innings down as well for the Fish, and they can hopefully win a series and score more than four runs. That would be sensational. End this streak. Guys, we'll be back tomorrow, and appreciate Will hopping on. Speak tomorrow.